the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a minute after 4 o'clock, Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for joining us here in the second hour of Southern California Live. Most of you know that last week the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a uh, a landmark case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This is a challenge to the court precedent of Roe versus Wade. Uh, the the court seemed to indicate in in the way that um, th- that it asked questions the the judges the way they asked questions there was an indication that there is change coming in in the law and in the precedent set back in 1973 with Roe versus Wade and with legalized abortion in our country uh, but it does not mean that. If the Supreme Court makes a ruling, which will not happen until June or July, if they make a ruling in favor of the state of Mississippi upholding the law there, it does not mean that abortion will become illegal in the United States. Now, what it does mean is that this issue will go back to the states. It will come back to California. And here in California, as you may know, there's already talk about what to do if if Roe goes away because the predisposition of the state legislators here in California is that uh, the right to an abortion is something that needs to be protected and held sacred. Listen, there's a, there's an article. I want you, when you get home tonight, or if you've got a device right there and you can Google this without, not while you're driving, but just type into your Google search bar the words reject magical thinking. And that'll pull up for you a column written this week by Kevin Williamson that I I won't take time to read to you here today, but maybe we can talk more about it this later this week. It's a well-written column that, that the basic thrust of of what Williamson is saying in this article is that the modern abortion movement requires a level of magical thinking. You have to think. You have to believe that there's a magical moment in in a womb when a clump of cells becomes a human being. Because everything in science tells us that's not the case. In fact, he says in the article, the only difference between a six-month-old baby after birth and a six-month gestating baby in the womb, the only difference is the age of that person. Personhood is conferred at conception, and that's the central issue we're dealing with here. Whatever other obfuscations the the pro-choice people want to throw your way, it all comes back to, wait, we're dealing with a human being. When is it right to take the life of a human being, an innocent human being? Well, I could get on my soapbox, but we're going to talk this hour with uh, Samuel Green. Samuel is president and general counsel for Reasons for Life, 
located uh, here in Southern California, up in Palmdale. Uh, Samuel was in Washington, D.C. last week uh, for the Supreme Court hearing, and I think was involved in an, an amicus brief as well. Well, I'll bring him on. Samuel, welcome to Southern California Live. Nice to have you here. I think we've got a little glitch there. Are you there? Can you hear me? Ah, I hear you there. I'm here. Samuel, good to have you on this afternoon. Thank you. It's good to be on, Bob. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so am am I right? Were you involved in an amicus brief uh, for the court last week? Yes, I did have the pleasure of authoring an amicus brief on behalf of Reason for Life, uh, arguing in favor of overturning Roe versus Wade so that states can once again perform their duty to protect children in the womb. And uh, that brief was one of many that were filed uh, in support of the state of Mississippi's case asking the Supreme Court to do just that, overturn Roe versus Wade. Yeah, the the clerks for the justices are going to be busy over the next several months with a lot of amicus briefs to be reading, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There's uh, quite a significant number, I think, somewhere around 130 between both sides. So that's a lot of briefs, and despite the name, they're generally not brief. (laughs) That is a lot to wade through. Were were you in the courtroom last week when the oral arguments were presented? Sadly, no. Because of COVID, the Supreme Court is no longer allowing people to be present in the courtroom other than the lawyers advocating and a few select members of the press. Okay, so you had to monitor it like the rest of us did, but you were in D.C. with other like-minded organizations really to show your support for the Mississippi case. What was your sense of of, uh, what was going on as the justices were asking the questions of the attorneys? Well, every lawyer will tell you, and I'm no exception, that it's very hard to make predictions based on what the justices are asking at oral argument. Uh, But I think the general sense of it was, you know, to the extent you want to try to make predictions, was favorable, that it seemed that we have a sufficient number of justices, most likely, who wish to uphold the state of Mississippi's law, which protects children at and after 15 weeks gestation. Now, there's a bigger question, though, of whether there are a sufficient number of justices to overturn Roe versus Wade entirely, which would make it so that states could protect life from its very beginning, from the moment of conception. So I think there's a feeling of less certainty on that question, uh, but a greater feeling that at least Mississippi's law protecting life at 15 weeks is likely to succeed at the Supreme Court which would still require substantial modification to Roe versus Wade. But time will tell. The justices over the course of the next several months will be negotiating with each other and exchanging drafts of opinions. And as that argument takes place between the justices over the course of the next months, opinions may change. So it's something for us to continue keeping in prayer as we wait for that decision this summer. Yeah, and and um, I listened to the oral arguments and and um, then read a lot after that. It it seems like those media sources that are are champions and cheerleaders for the pro-abortion cause 
pretty universally, they seem to be saying, look, Roe is not going to be the same come next June or July, whether it's whether restrictions are allowed or whether Roe is completely overturned. That's the question. But nobody seems to be thinking that somehow the court is going to uh, affirm uh, the, the the Roe decision making and and leave it in place going forward. Uh, I, I guess it could still there, we we could all be surprised. We've been surprised before, but it sure seems like the handwriting's on the wall that some change is coming. Don't you think? It does seem that way, and uh, we can pray that it comes and and pray for the complete overturning of Roe versus Wade because we all obviously really want a world in which we can protect all human life. Obviously, the right to life is one of the most basic of human rights, and it would seem that if you are a human, you ought to be entitled to it. And we know from science that a new human being comes into existence at the moment of conception, not at 8 weeks or 15 weeks or 24 weeks or at birth, but at conception, and it is then that that new child made in the image of God ought to receive protection from the state. It's pretty ironic that the people over the last three or four years who have been shouting the loudest, saying, we believe science, we're we're following the science, when it comes to the issue of abortion, all of a sudden science goes away and now other concerns crowd in and, and crowd the day. And I'm thinking of here in California, where there's already, you know this, this week there's been talk about not just how do we uh, preserve the right to abortion here in California, but now this talk about making California a sanctuary state. Tell us about that. It really is disturbing. It's it's a new development, so I haven't read much about it, but what I understand is that there are some who are suggesting that if Roe versus Wade is overturned and the individual states are once again deciding whether to protect children in the womb or to allow them to be killed at will, uh, there are some states that are going to choose to protect those children and give them the right to life, which means women may be looking for alternative locations to hire someone to kill their child in utero. And California, at least some in California, are suggesting that California not only be one of those places that they can go, but that uh, they go with the funding of the state for lodging and for travel and for the procedure. And it's really abhorrent to think about the the hard, the, the earnings that people work so hard for in California who who recognize the value of life being used through taxpayer dollars to fund the killing of children from other states. And I'm I certainly hope and pray that that very uh, despicable suggestion will will never make it into law. If if California if if Roe versus Wade is overturned next summer, um, already New York and already California, these state legislatures have st- have stepped up and said we're anticipating this may come, and so we are enshrining the right to abortion in our state and making it as ironclad as we can possibly make it. So. If, if things flip next summer for Roe versus Wade, it's business as usual here in California when it comes to abortion, isn't it? Yes, there are definitely going to be states like California that uh, continue to allow abortion or perhaps even <laughs> encourage it through taxpayer funding, as we were just discussing, which really shows the great importance of 
changing hearts and minds and ensuring that people become educated and understand the science, showing that at the moment of conception, a unique DNA comes into place, establishing that child's sex and hair color and eye color and so many other characteristics. And it's just a matter of time of development that that child needs to become like the adults driving on the roads of Los Angeles today. And we know that much of life is a process of development. Toddlers are less developed than teenagers. Teenagers are less developed than adults. But we recognize that the common thread at all stages of development are that these are humans and therefore should be protected. And so we need people to come to that realization from a scientific perspective and then also the churches to come to the realization that while this issue gets tossed about in the political arena quite frequently, it is also a biblical issue, and, and the Bible teaches us that these are children made in the image of God who are precious to Him. And as Christians, we ought to do what we can to protect them and to spread the truth about these children's value. Now, this is a part of, of your mission and a part of the passionate reasons for life is that, uh, that, that Christians, those in evangelical churches, pastors, that the, the strong case for uh, the sanctity of life would be uh, would be taught, would be upheld. We we could look at the scriptures and see what the scriptures teach about this. And and, and from what I understand, as as you've done the research on this, there are good solid evangelical churches and good solid people going to evangelical churches who are squishy on this issue of abortion. That's right. There are many Christian churches uh, within the evangelical community and outside of it as well uh, where the people darkening the pews each week uh, believe that the Bible has nothing to say about abortion, that abortion is morally permissible, and uh, that's a huge problem that we have here as we're, we're looking to this hopefully post-Roe versus Wade world where people are once again going to be confronting whether they are going to protect children in the womb or not, when it's not just the culture at large that's confused on the question, but even many within the church. And so it's disturbing, but it's also not that surprising when we consider that the constant drumbeat of culture is that abortion is just fine, and perhaps even good in some cases. And then you have many churches that are sadly reluctant to counter those lies with the truth of the gospel for fear of being perceived as political. But again, while the issue is political and controversial, it's first and foremost a biblical issue. And we need, we need pastors and Christian schools and those in positions of influence to use their platforms to make sure that they're spreading the truth of the Bible on this topic where so many have been misled and where tragedy is the result of that, the death of hundreds of thousands of children each year, and the heartbreak and shame that often accompanies those decisions on the part of mothers and fathers. We're talking with Samuel Green. He is uh, general counsel and president of Reasons for Life, was in D.C. last week when the Supreme Court was hearing oral arguments. Our lines are open, by the way, at 888-52-TALKS. If you'd like to join the conversation, if you have questions or thoughts on this subject, uh, 888-528-2557, or email us at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. 
Samuel, you were you were doing corporate law before you you started working with Reasons for Life. Tell me about your journey. How how has this issue become such an issue of passion for you? Well, it actually started around the age of seven years old when I first learned about abortion, and my child's heart was absolutely shattered at the thought of children being intentionally killed for matters often coming down to convenience. And uh, it was at that time that I was burdened to work towards ending abortion in America. And so that has been my aim since the age of seven. It was around the age of nine that I decided I'd become an attorney and see if I could help address the matter in that way. And uh, I've had the privilege of doing pro-life litigation with a wonderful ministry called Alliance Defending Freedom, and I'm now blessed to have founded Reason for Life that's focused more on reaching churches and Christian schools with the biblical case for life, while also dabbling a bit on the legal side as well, such as in this brief I filed in Dobbs, the case that the Supreme Court heard last week. You know, when we do the, you look at the public opinion surveys on this issue, and you find that there's a there's a group on the far side uh, of the pro-abortion movement who are radically, unalterably, they are they're rabid in their support of abortion. There's a there's a group, you and me would be a part of this group on the on the other side of that spectrum who would say, uh, this is sacred and this is human life, and and we should not have anything. Abortion should be illegal in all cases, and then there's the average American person who's somewhere in the middle who says, "I'm, I'm not all that comfortable with abortion, but I don't want to, you know, rape and incest and life of the mother, and I've got these concerns." And um, if, if you're sitting down and having a conversation with somebody who is in that kind of mid space, what do you, what do you say to them? Well, it's it's. A conversation that needs to be had, and it's hard to have in a short period of time, but I think it boils down to something that you said at the outset of the program, which is that we are dealing here with real, living human beings and the question of whether we are going to intentionally kill them or not. And there are tough circumstances that all of us face throughout life in various uh, circumstances, some of which relate to pregnancy. And the question is, how are we going to address those very tough circumstances? And I would just submit that in evaluating that question, one option that we should never put on the table is intentionally killing an innocent human being, which is what abortion involves. I I think it all comes back, and I think you're right, it all comes back to do we understand that issue? So so if somebody says, well, what about... uh, what about rape? Rape is a tragic situation. A child who is conceived in a rape, the, the mother, the trauma that's involved in that is is not insignificant. We've got to acknowledge that. And yet we would not say that the, the, the right response to that, that criminal violation of a woman is for her baby to pay the price and to be put to death. Now, now, I know people would go, that's heartless, and don't you care about the mother? Of course I care about the mother, and of course I want to do everything I can for that mother. But but in that situation, uh, the the thing I don't want to do is is take the child and say, here's how we're going to make it better for the mother. 
we're going to take away the life of her child. You can't just erase a life and hope that things get better. Well, you got me on my soapbox here. So, look, we've got to take a quick time out. We're talking with Samuel Green. He heads uh, an organization called Reasons for Life. He is a, a lead counsel or general counsel and president of that organization, was in D.C. last week for the Supreme Court uh, argument, Dobbs versus uh, the Jackson Women's Clinic. We want to take your calls on this subject at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. We've also got our email line open at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Give us a call. Join in the conversation. We'll continue with more on Southern California Live on KKLA in just a minute. Stay with us. Southern California Live on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine, 27 after 4 o'clock. We're talking about the Supreme Court argument last week in the Dobbs case, the uh, the case that may lead to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Interesting that during the Advent season, where we are preparing to celebrate the birth of a baby, we would be, uh, we would be thinking about th- this subject. Samuel Green is joining us. He heads Reason for Life. Uh, he's an attorney. He's a uh, the the, the uh, general counsel for Reason for Life. And Samuel, I know we've got folks who are listening to KKLA who have grown up hearing and and believing uh, what they have heard that this issue is an issue best left between a mother and her doctor, and that this is not something that the government should swoop in and force. A, a mother to have to do something that that is going to be painful or inconvenient for her. Um, so, so with that being what people have heard and and have grown up believing and and think is right as a Christian, what's your response? Well, I'm very sympathetic to the arguments of freedom and autonomy that many put forward, because those are principles that I generally favor to a great extent. But I think that when analyzing those questions about personal freedom versus government involvement, we have to ask, personal freedom to do what? And in the case of abortion, it's do I have the personal freedom to intentionally kill an innocent living human being. And and the fact that it's an innocent living human being is something that science establishes, so it's not a purely religious argument. But for those who are religious, it's something that the Bible also establishes. And I think we have to answer that question. No, you don't have that right to kill that innocent living human being as a, a matter of uh, just simple preference. There's a fundamental case. Yeah, we we got to understand. There's a fundamental difference. We'll we'll say a mom has um, a tumor. You know, God forbid she's got a tumor. Well, if if you do the DNA testing on the tumor inside the mother's body, that's the mom's DNA. That's a part of her body. So if she wants to have the tumor removed or radiated or whatever she wants to do with her tumor. I'd go, that's that's up to her, and that's between her and her doctor. You do the DNA test on the baby in the mother's womb, it's a different DNA. It's not a tumor. It's not a clump of cells. It's it's a person there, and to say, well, this mother, because it's in her body, she she has the right to evict the tenant 
hang hang on evicting a tenant okay so let's say you've got you've got property and you've got a renter in your house you you may have the right to evict the tenant but you don't have the right to go down and murder the tenant that's what we're talking about here and that's it it really does all come back to that single issue are we dealing with a living human being from the point of conception and and as you've said and and I agree because there's unique DNA here we're talking about a new human being and as soon as that new human being comes into existence we have a a right or a, a responsibility to protect that person from harm, just as we would protect all of our fellow citizens from harm. Let me ask you about this, because we'll often hear this. Pro-life people like you and like me, we're concerned about life in the womb, but once the baby's born, forget about it. We, you know, we don't care if the kid grows up in poverty or has a hard time or all of that. What, what's your response to those who say pro-lifers have a, a fetal fixation and aren't concerned about kids outside the womb? Well, you really have to ignore the actual facts to make an argument like that because we see within the pro-life community tremendous charity extending to mothers and to children in need. There are thousands of pro-life pregnancy resource centers across the nation that provide charitable services for free that are funded predominantly by pro-life individuals who want to ensure that women do have the resources they need to feel comfortable giving birth and raising a child. And and so we see that across the spectrum with churches stepping up to help, with pregnancy resource centers stepping up to help. So it's simply a, a false accusation. But I think it's also an accusation that tries to misdirect again from one of the fundamental questions, which is what is the nature of the child in the womb? And if if that child is a human being, should we be allowing that child to be intentionally killed? And instead they want to distract with, well, what social policy should be in place, should more be done? And those are all fine discussions to have, but we can't lose sight of the fundamental question, which is does this child deserve protection or not? Because we are killing uh, over 2,000 children in the womb each and every day, and that's something that needs to end. 888-52-TALKS is the number if you'd like to join us, 888-528-2557. Let's go out to Burbank. Stephanie is on the line with us in Burbank. Stephanie, thanks for calling in. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. First, I want to say I'm pro-life. But I think that uh, there's a lot of focus put on the mother. And if we're in the case of, like, rapist or incest, there needs to be higher legal penalties for people that do that. And also that there's not enough responsibility given to the father of the child. Mm-hmm. A lot of times women feel like, um, you know, that they can't, they can't do it. You know, they got to work or whatever, and that's not an excuse. But it is a factor. So it should be like, uh, you know, child support needs to be heavily enforced. And other problems need to uh, be enforced. And let's say in the case of incest or, you know, rape or whatever, maybe the mother doesn't want to keep the child, but she can have it and give it up for adoption. But she, you know, that uh, she needs support. And men need to be also held accountable. 
I don't hear nothing about men. I, the, the mother, the mother, it's her body. Well, you know, no, I agree with you that it doesn't matter. I mean, she had the the, um, the choice to have sex, and those are the consequences. So, you know, that's the consequence of doing that. But there's also, I mean, it takes two to tangle. It's not just the female. Yeah. Yeah, I think you make a great point, and and I want to have you speak to this, Samuel. What about a, a father's responsibility, both legally to support the child, and and then the father's responsibility in in this whole process? Well, Stephanie touched on an issue of serious importance, which is that right now abortion has largely been exploited by men to take advantage of women and and walk away from the responsibility of being a uh, husband and being a father to the child that they helped create. And that's a terrible tragedy. There are laws requiring men to step up and, and pay child support, but you know, often there's difficulties in enforcement and questions of whether that is sufficient. And so it really is critical that that men do step up and understand their responsibility to their children and not neglect not neglect those children and not turn to abortion as an easy way out. I would say another tragedy with our current abortion jurisprudence is for those fathers who do wish to do the right thing and stand by their child and protect their child, as things currently stand, uh, that father has no way to protect his own flesh and blood if the mother decides to kill that child well in the womb. She can do that uh, despite the father's pleading to save the child and even offers to raise the child on his own. And so it's, it's a tragic situation all around and just goes back to the reality that we need to protect those children and we need to convey to people moral truths like the value of life in the womb and the importance of being the fathers and mothers that God called us to be. Yeah, I think from an ethical and a moral standpoint, I think, Stephanie, you're exactly right, that that it is time for us in the church, it's time for us in the culture to say, this is not exclusively a women's issue. There there were two tangoing here, and, and there needs to be responsibility brought to bear uh, you can call us at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557, or uh, email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. We're talking with Samuel Green about the oral arguments before the Supreme Court and about the impending, the possible impending end of Roe versus Wade. And Samuel, when we come back, I, I want to talk to you about what's going to be the practical reality of what happens here in California if Roe v. Wade is overturned, because I think a lot of us look around and go, it's just going to be the same. And and frankly, in California, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of hope for anything to change. Things seem firmly entrenched. Is it possible that California could come to a point where we would say as a state that abortion is wrong and ought to be illegal? We'll talk more about that after we take a quick time out. Stay with us. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA. Southern California Live on KKLA. Thursday afternoon, if you've got somewhere you're supposed to be by uh, 5 o'clock, you got 
about 17 minutes to get there. We're talking about uh, the argument before the Supreme Court last week in the Dobbs case. Uh, uh, is the is the end of Roe versus Wade near? You're welcome to join the conversation at 888-52-TALKS. Uh, Samuel Green is our guest. He is general counsel and president of Reason for Life. And uh, and, and uh, Steve is on the line with us in Newport Beach. Steve, thanks for calling. Welcome. Hang on, Steve. We got you there. Not that one. There, there you go. Welcome, Steve. Uh, yeah, just a few comments on what you've been talking about. Yep. Number one, in my experience as a family lawyer, it's a, more often the man that wants the woman to get the abortion because he doesn't want to support the child. He wants to leave the woman. Hmm. Secondly, typically in divorce, especially among evangelical Christians, where the woman typically is not working, she's home taking care of the child, the, the father's the support. In a divorce, the woman has virtually no rights. She can't afford a lawyer. Uh, men don't even pay for health insurance for their children. So I think if you're going to emphasize... I think Steve dropped out on us there. Uh, but but I get the point, which is the idea that in, in a lot of cases... Uh, it is a it's it's a, a man who is pressuring a woman to uh, to get an abortion because uh, he wants to be done with the problem and he thinks he thinks that uh, an abortion will mean he is done with the problem and and honestly um, Samuel there's not there is we have to recognize there's a difference between a paternal instinct and a maternal instinct that the mother's instinct kicks in a little quicker and her connection to that child is a little stronger maybe significantly stronger once the baby is conceived, isn't it? Well, she has a new living human being inside of her, and so it would seem that it would be natural for that connection to form. And it is a tragedy that oftentimes men are pushing women to get abortions. They're looking for what they consider to be the easy way out. Um, But that creates obviously when when that choice is selected it kills an innocent living human being and it creates oftentimes serious psychological and spiritual suffering for not only the mother but the father as well and so it's really important again for for this case Dobbs at the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade so that states can take the abortion option off the table take killing children off the table is a set of options that people are considering from, uh, but it's also important for churches and individuals to be sharing with others about the humanity and value of children in the womb and the importance of mothers and fathers stepping up to protect children. And I would go even one step beyond the the fathers often pressuring the mothers to abort uh, within churches and outside of churches as well. It is sometimes the parents of uh, teenage girls Hmm. who are pressuring their daughter to abort their grandchild, sometimes out of, uh, you know, concern about the effects on the family that a a new baby will have, but even potential embarrassment within the church. And so I think it's important for churches to be stepping up and saying, look, we have certain uh, foundational values about what intimate relationships should look like according to the Bible, and these are best for living in a God-honoring way that leads to 
human flourishing, but we also want to know when, when people fall short of that standard that we are there to help them and assist them and love them and help them find the forgiveness that Jesus offers so that uh, people within the church do feel comfortable having that child that may have come about as a result of sin rather than turning to the sin of abortion to conceal the original sin. One of the uh, issues that has come up since last week, one of the things that we've started to see in the media, and by the way, I think we're going to continue to see in the media, there's going to be a drumbeat for this, but we're starting to see the articles that are saying, don't believe that adoption is a solution for pregnant mothers because adoption comes with all kind of issues and pain and trauma associated with it. Uh, This was in the New York Times over the weekend. David French who is a fellow attorney, uh, spoke to this. He's an adoptive parent and wrote eloquently on the subject this this weekend. Uh, we have to acknowledge that adoption uh, is is not a fairy tale magical solution that uh, they all lived happily ever after. There can be challenges that come with adoption, but there can also be huge blessings and huge um, joy that comes in an adoptive family. Absolutely. I've, I've known many adoptive families. There are, there are some who have been adopted themselves, who are leaders in the pro-life movement, and there are many beautiful stories that come from it. There are also hardships, as is the case with most things in life. I, I think, though, that when Christians especially step up to be there to welcome children into their families through adoption, it's a beautiful way to show God's love to others. We know from the Bible that God has a great heart for the orphans and that he adopted us into his family and that we as Christians can go forth and adopt little ones into our families and show the love of Christ to them. And it's it's a tragedy when we start trying to weigh adoption with the difficulties that are sometimes involved there with uh, as, as some sort of um, comparing it to abortion, which again involves intentionally killing a child, and I mean, you're to think that that it would be better to abort than to adopt is just a very tragic uh, view that some have, which is hard for me to wrap my mind around. I think we yeah. always ought to give a child a chance at life and the best life that we can give that child, which is often through adoption. Yeah. 888-52-TALKS is the number, 888-528-2557. Talking with Samuel Green, an attorney who was in D.C. last week during the Supreme Court arguments on the Dodds case. Um, so uh, if if things shift next summer, if Roe versus Wade is dismissed, the court says that was poorly reasoned back 50 years ago. They strike it down. It's no longer precedent. It's back to the states. Here in California, um, can can you even, I mean, isn't it beyond belief that California is, in our lifetime, going to ever be a pro-life state? Well, the surveys of public opinion are very discouraging in California, but I do believe that significant progress can be made through education. And, you know, when it comes to just educating people in general, whether they're religious or not, there's so much that people do not 
fully understand about the beauty and complexity of life in the womb. I think one thing that was great about this Dobbs case that the Supreme Court heard last week was that it really put the humanity of children in the womb front and center. There, Mississippi was working to protect children at and after 15 weeks gestation. And there, the court is confronted with a child in the womb that looks much like the babies that we hold in our arms, just much smaller, but a child with arms and legs and fingers and toes. And we know so much about those lives. We know that at 15 weeks, that child's heart has beat about 15,800,000 times and is pumping about six gallons of blood a day. And so I think when you hear facts like that and you realize we're talking about spilling that blood and stopping that real heart that is pumping real blood and put that question to people of whether they are comfortable with that. And uh, many of them are not going to be, even if uh, they were preliminarily considering themselves pro-choice simply because they hadn't given much thought to the humanity of the children and the brutality of abortion. Justice Sotomayor, in her questioning last week, seemed to want to... um indicate that the science is not settled on this. When the question came up about fetal pain uh, with an abortion, she, she kind of waved that away saying, oh, that's just, an, that's just a reflex action. That's, there's not a human being there. You remember that line of questioning? Absolutely. It was a very disturbing line of questioning. Uh, there, there is some scientific disagreement about when a child becomes capable of experiencing pain. Uh, But I think while obviously a child suffering through a gruesome death is something that should concern us all, that is not the only issue. I think if someone is under general anesthesia and is not experiencing pain, we all would be appalled if someone took the opportunity to start literally disassembling their body and killing them, even if no pain was experienced. And um, in abortion, that is sadly what often happens, that the child is being torn limb from limb while living in most cases, and it's, it's stomach-turning and disturbing. And I think that that type of education could change how people think. And then going to part of our prior conversation, Bob, you mentioned that, that Christmas is approaching. And I think, you know, if there's so much in the Scripture that if those within the church were to preach it and share it and look at it, that could create a big transformation, even in California. You look at Luke 1, which begins the Christmas story, and there's so much there to see about the value of life in the womb. You have John the Baptist leaping for joy while a child in the womb, and actually receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit while a child in the womb, which just shows in an indisputable way, that God values life in the womb. We have Jesus, while in the womb, being referred to by Elizabeth as her Lord. You know, I think if people think about it, as Mary was pregnant with Jesus, if she had decided, ah, enough of this, Uh, this is too much for me, I want an abortion, is there really any question about what she would have been doing in having an abortion? Would she have been killing a meaningless mass of cells, or would she be ending the life of Jesus? Um, Samuel, and, and I think that it's clear what's involved there. 
Yeah, I hate to interrupt you. We've got to wrap this up. We're out of time. But uh, thank you for the conversation this afternoon. Folks, check out reasonforlife.org to find out more about the work that Samuel's doing. And and meet me back here again tomorrow at 3 o'clock for Southern California Live. We'll see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.